and welcome to Inspiring Women Leaders, the podcast about leadership by women only, from which everyone can learn. Inspiring Women Leaders aims to showcase the extensive leadership knowledge and practical skills of its incredible guests, and to both inspire and educate its listeners, helping them acquire the know-how necessary to become better leaders themselves. Without further ado, I'd now like to welcome my guest. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Today, I'm really excited to welcome to the show my friend, oculoplastic surgeon and medical leader, Dr. Elisa Jiang. Dr. Jiang wears many hats. Not only is she an oculoplastic surgeon, but she's also a life and money coach, a speaker, and a fellow podcaster. Elisa has held many leadership positions starting at an early age in middle school. She was awarded the Robert Noland Leadership Award at graduation from Caltech. In medical school, she was treasurer of the American Medical Student Association and secretary and later vice president of the Medical Science Training Program Council. Elisa was also chief resident. She's now an assistant professor at Case Western Reserve University, where she teaches medical students. She also teaches the residents at the Cleveland Clinic Ophthalmology Residency Program and gives talks on personal finance to residency and fellowship training programs across the United States. She's the host of the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast and the Wealthy Mindset MD YouTube channel. A lot going on there. I think it's an incredible mission. And I think it's fair to say that you're definitely leading the way with inspiration, Elisa. So without further ado, let's meet you. Welcome to the show, Elisa. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Honestly, I'm so I'm so grateful. I'm so honored that you're here. Um, really pleased that you agreed to come on and speak to the show's audience. So thank you. So first of all, then, in your own words, please, would you tell the audience a bit more about yourself, including what your current work roles are and what leadership positions you currently hold or have held in the past, please? Yeah, well, I think the introduction really summed it up very well in that I do definitely wear multiple hats. And so as an acroplastic surgeon, currently I'm in private practice. It's a large ophthalmology group. Any attending physician, I really do think that that alone is a leadership position because we have our team. So when I'm in clinic, I have, you know, my team of my scribe and my techs that are assigned to me. And so it's our team's mission to make sure that we see all our patients and do that efficiently and provide the best care. Plus, then you even add on to the team, the front desk staff, the surgical scheduling staff, the billers and people who are working for prior authorization for insurance to make sure that all the different components of unfortunately delivering healthcare includes the how it's going to get paid for. I know in the United yeah. States, we have a slightly different system than you have in the UK. And there is just a lot of paperwork that goes along with it. You know, when I'm in the OR being the surgeon, then I'm kind of the leader of the surgery team as the surgeon. So I typically have a CRNA or a nurse anesthetist. So there's not even necessarily an anesthesiologist in the room. So I am the only physician. And then there is the surgical nurse and then there's the scrub tech. And there may be someone else in the room as well. But the whole point of all of us being there is to deliver safe care to the patient, get them the surgery to fix whatever issue they're in the room for and all the different components that have to happen with that. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much. And 
I really appreciate you going into into that detail about about being an attending because obviously you know an attending is the you know the highest level of a physician um a, a practicing clinician uh in in the medical world and you know i think oftentimes people don't think about the the, the wider team within which you know we work and you know that we influence um you know including non-medical and even non-clinical staff um so there's 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 a lot of people that you have to you know a lot of cogs in the machine and a lot of people that you have to sort of um direct and and support um and obviously for the the best outcome for the patient so and that's in clinic and as you say the the wider clinic environment um uh, you know like the insurance companies and so on and, and obviously in the or and that's that's, that's interesting because obviously ophthalmology you don't always have a anesthesiologist so i yeah I, I kind of forgotten that you're the only physician in the room sometimes so uh yeah that's that's really interesting but you have obviously some other other leadership roles you tell us a bit more about the um the teaching and the the way that you lead through your your podcast and 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 so on being a podcaster also kind of means being a thought leader I have a lot of episodes where I'm speaking to educate or to expand someone's mind. And I think that is a component about being a leader. I also do have guests come on to my podcast. And so it's leading that conversation to pull out from the guests the reason they're there, the expertise they bring, and have a conversation that people want to listen to and also are going to learn from. You know, I think a lot of leadership is not about having a specific designation or title, but really about stepping up and taking charge to make sure our job gets done, about being a thought leader, because just being a thought leader itself has a word leader in it. It's yeah. putting thoughts out there that people can you know, sit and resonate with and use themselves in order to have personal growth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for that. So, so with your various um, different leadership hats on then, do you have a... Um, a general leadership style or do you find that your leadership style varies depending on what role it is that you're you're carrying out at that time i'm sure it does vary somewhat i see myself probably as a organizer and planner oftentimes i typically kind of tend to step up whenever things do need organizing or putting together for example, just even the group of people that I train with for coach certification. So I did coach certification, at the time we were in groups of 10 people and we met periodically with our instructor, but also ourselves in order to just do practice coaching on. And even though that coach certification has ended quite a while ago, I still actually organize for our group of 10 to actually get together over Zoom and just meet about once a month in order to get together. And really, it doesn't seem like much, but just putting out there to our WhatsApp group, like, hey, when do one want to meet? What time? What date? You know, and trying to corral people together. Like, even yeah. that is leadership, right? A yeah. lot of leadership is kind of just a gentle nudge of like, hey, we want to do this, but someone's got to step up to actually kind of do the nitty gritty. And that may yeah. seem like menial work, but that is leadership because getting people together, just that component alone yeah. makes things happen. And a leader is someone who makes things happen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. So um, yeah, kind of organizing and, and as, I suppose, you know, you kind of um, creating, you're creating things, aren't you? I mean, these are um, groups of people that when they're in the sessions, for example, they're like, oh, this is such a good session. Oh, I was so glad we met up, you know, thank you so much for organizing it. You know, it was, it was, it was great. And they'd miss it if they didn't have it. But then, 
everyone says, oh, I'm too busy to organize it myself and whatever. So, uh, you know, you, you, you're fulfilling such a fantastic um, purpose there. So, yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much. So with your, your sort of different leadership um, hats then, I mean, you, you know, you were you, you're a leader at middle school. I'm interested in in knowing you know, about your about your journey. You know, so what what leadership things you you did when you were a child, and then and then at Caltech and, and up to becoming chief resident. What was your what was your journey like? Yeah, and I think it all starts kind of with that person who is willing to get out and get people together and organize. Middle school, there was a science Olympiad team, and I really just took that on, and I pulled people to actually get interested and join and figure out who was going to participate in all the different competitions within the Science Olympiad and really support each person and say, like, what do you need? And I mean, really, like, looking back on it, it wasn't like I was even voted as co-president of the Science Olympiad. I just decided, like, okay, I want to make this happen. I want to have a team where we're going to be able to go and compete in all the different uh, competitions within the Science Olympiad so that we have a chance of uh, scoring well enough to go to state. And uh, we did go to state. And it was the first time I think my middle school team ever went to state. So that was quite an accomplishment. And several of us did win r- ribbons. There were very few first places, but we won a lot of third and fourth places. And so that accumulated points really just actually made the push for us to be able to actually qualify for states. There were just also many other different clubs. I was really involved in yearbook. And when I was in high school, I was the president of the ecology club. I did the school newspaper. I was photography editor of school newspaper. We had a like artistic magazine that published once a year. And uh, my senior year, I was the photography director for that as well as was and still really am into photography. And, you know, I just held multiple roles in different clubs. And then there were also clubs where I was just a member and I wasn't necessarily a leader of that club. I do think you have to pick and choose. If you spread yourself too thin, then you can't necessarily do a great job everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I, I, really love hearing about that you know clearly you know you loved your science but also you have a very artistic side to you as well but you kind of channel both of them into doing stuff organizing stuff and kind of achieving leadership um status through through that just by being motivated and um and interested and i, and I guess with the science olympiad you know if you hadn't you know taken the the ball by the horns and, and set it all up it was something you really wanted to do but there wouldn't have been a a, a club to even do it with if you hadn't set it up right so um, yeah i mean the club like existed but it just never even had enough people to send someone to every single one of the events and yeah, yeah. i don't even know what inspired me but i just thought that this would be a fun thing to do i, I was really interested in science and so i grabbed friends so I mean, I can't say it was just all me. There were some people in the club, but I really made sure that we had a full 15-person team because in previous years, the team wasn't even the full 15-person capacity. And so there wasn't enough people to even go to all the different uh, competitions within the team. And so it was fun, right? It's pulling friends. And I think a lot of leadership when you're young is really just stepping up to the plate and kind of doing the work. In college, it's kind of the same thing. I was really involved in a group called the Caltech Y. And I just got involved like my freshman year, just starting to participate in activities and then starting to organize activities and thinking like, oh, I want to do this. 
So just stepping up and doing it. A lot of times it was like, hey, you know, we'd like to have some project that does some community service. Is anyone interested? I'm like, well, I just, you know, I've heard of Habitat for Humanity, but that was something that they wanted you to be at least 18 to do. So I couldn't do that in high school. So why don't I do that now, now that we're all 18 in college? And I just kept taking on more roles and taking on more responsibility to the point Mm -hmm. where, you know, I did win that leadership award, which I was really honored to win. I really didn't expect that at all. It was actually quite an honor. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. Congratulations. (laughs) Um, And then there were some, some other roles at uh, at medical school, the treasurer of the American medical student association. That's, is that quite a big, a big organization? It sounds like quite a big role. Um, it was a big role. It probably is a bigger role than president, to be honest, because it's all about the fundraising for the group. And in order to do the fundraising, what we do is we do a big residency fair. So I literally had to run the residency fair for that year, which means contacting all the residency programs in the area to actually come and have a booth and represent their program and pay for the booth and set up the hotel that this was going to be at and then advertise it to all the medical students to you know attend so that the residency programs are happy that they're actually speaking to a lot of the yeah. medical students. And that was quite a big thing to put on, actually, because yeah. it costs money to put it on. But the whole point is to fundraise and raise money. So yeah. actually making sure enough residency programs were willing to come and pay the fee that we uh, charge for it, and then actually collecting that fee. I remember the Cleveland Clinic, which is a is a place with a lot of funding, but still like, mm. I constantly had to like chase them in order just to get the I can't remember it was two or $300 for the booth fee. <laughs> yeah, that sounds quite, uh, quite typical. Um, so I, I think what what I'm hearing is that, you know, there were lots of things that you were very interested in and uh, you were very enthusiastic and very good at sort of like getting other people involved in things. You were you were very motivated and 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 dedicated. And and I think for me, the theme that I'm hearing is that you were really leading by example because you really threw yourself into all of these activities and led from the front. You know, you really were doing doing stuff and kind of bringing people along in that way. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's a great observation. So I was definitely doing a lot of work myself, but also asking for help and not just yeah. trying to do it all myself. Because, yeah. you know, at the time, it, when things are a lot of work, you do want to ask for help. And there's nothing, you know, weak or wrong with asking yeah. for help, though. Some people do kind of feel like it by asking for help, they're saying that they can't do it all. Yeah. But it's more fun to work with other people. And that is where you lead, right? When you work with other yeah. people, then you're leading yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, very true. That's great. Thank you. And um, yes, yeah, tell us tell us how your um, position as, as chief resident came about, Elisa. So in my residency program, we all shared the chief resident position. So there's four mm-hmm. of us uh, residents and we all are chief resident for three months. And mm-hmm. each of the three months, uh, there's specific roles involved during that mm-hmm. time. So the person who's the chief resident during recruitment season, that's really their role. Um, so it is a great time to actually spend where, you know, as a resident, even as a senior resident, you still have your peers. and mm-hmm having to to go into that role where you're quote telling your peers what to do yeah yeah is a way for you to learn how to you know really be gracious and not not be overbearing but you know there are things that the program director comes to you to say okay like 
I don't want to say people are acting up, but things are not going the way it's supposed to do. Now you're the one to bring in the discipline, right? Like you, you need to talk Gosh. to people and make sure people are showing up to, to lecture or call is being handled in, in the appropriate way or yeah. whatever's coming up and how to to talk to your friends and your yeah. you know your co-residents about like, hey, I need you to step it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, you d- and then that. Thank you for sharing that uh, that story, that anecdote. It it does it re- reminds me of uh, one of our one of our friends, Dr. Tolu Tolu uh, Tolu Lopio Lubintan, um, from the Ontrend D Business School, who was uh, chief resident. And actually, uh, that that m- managing your managing your peers who are your friends, but also have uh, and and you mentioned the call rotor, and I think. Or for her, the issue was the call rotor, and someone had to do a, a call at a certain time. Um, you know, like I don't know if it was Christmas or something, but it was it was some kind of prominent date, and 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 ultimately she had because she was organising the rotor, she'd taken the lion's share of the calls anyway. Like there were there was there were surplus, and she kind of took uh, you know at least one more than everyone else, you know. And so she she said to this person, "Well, this is how the call has fallen." for your your place in the rotor and so you have to do this one and it kind of led to a led to a bit of a a falling out i think but you know she had to stick with it and say look you you have to do it i'm afraid i'm sorry i've i'm already doing all of the antisocial ones and i'm doing one more night than everyone else and yada yada but you know you, you have to do your turn on the rotor sort of thing so that can be tricky by the sounds of it did it did it cause any any challenges like that yeah the call schedule is probably the the biggest thing for the chief resident to take care of and yes it's all about you know making it equal between everyone everyone has the same number of weekends and people have different weekends that they want off and trying to accommodate that as much as possible and and selling kind of all that so that everyone sees it as fair and fair means different things to different people in some ways right very true yeah (laughs) okay lovely and now and now obviously you have um you know the kind of the the teaching roles where you, you know you are uh, a, a senior member of the staff on the residency program and um how did you get how did you get into that how did you get into that leadership role so i've really just enjoyed teaching as a fellow i taught the residents and i really enjoyed that aspect and even mm-hmm. as a resident i was teaching medical students i actually won a ward in residency for teaching the medical students when I decided to go into private practice, I still wanted a way to teach residents. And so the first job I took was with a private practice where the local medical school and residency program actually used a lot of community faculty in order to teach the residents. So that was very appealing to me. I got a position as assistant professor at EVMS, the Eastern Virginia Medical School in Virginia. And in that, I staffed the residents in their clinic one day a month and also did kind of voluntary call with them. So as an aquaplastic surgeon, they would have someone who was on call, but not everyone can do aquaplastic. So if there was an mm-hmm. aquaplastic case that come up, there were a few of us aquaplastic surgeons. And so it wasn't like required that I would have to go in and do the case with them. But mm-hmm. if I was available, you know, I would really try because teaching in the OR, I thought was a lot of fun. And I, I did do that uh, several times. When I switched jobs over to uh, Metro Health in Cleveland, that did come somewhat automatically. I mean, everyone kind of uh, applies to have a professorship at Case Western Reserve. Uh, So I did the same and I teach medical students there as well. And then the, at Metro, the 
Cleveland Clinic residents actually come to Metro to do their rotations. So I taught them in clinic. Um, and that was something I really, you know, pushed for. I originally, when I started working there, the idea was that I would teach the residents, but it took several months, if not a year. And part of that was the pandemic coming in uh, before I actually got a clinic where I was teaching the residents and staffing with the residents. Since I left Metro Health, I was already connected with the residents. And even though they do have aquaplastics attending over at, uh, at the Kauai Institute, I found that the Aquaplastics attendants didn't necessarily do a lot of hands-on teaching with them, mm. and the residents actually would have liked more. So I started doing wet labs with the residents. So I planned with the program director a few times a year going to meet with the residents to do wet labs, and then I also just talk on financial literacy to residents not over not only at the Cleveland Clinic but across the the United States, just because I think it's such an important topic. We don't learn any of that in mm. any part of our education system, not in elementary, high school, college, yeah. medical school, and we all need to know how to manage our finances, especially in the United States. The way if you want to ever retire, you essentially need to self-fund that for the most part. I mean, there are things like social security, but that's really a net to kind of prevent you from being in complete poverty. Like you can't necessarily live on just what you get from social security, uh, mm -hmm. especially when you're a physician kind of used to living on a much higher income level. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. No, that is, that's so important. It's definitely one of those subjects, financial literacy that, uh, is as you say not covered certainly not covered um in the medical curriculum or um, perhaps even before that i mean um there are some you know life skill classes that you do when you're you know you're at high school and so on but um i don't know how much how, how much detail they go into on the financial literacy side so that sounds fantastic all right so now I, i'm just quite interested to um find out about the people that were senior to you when you were when you were more junior that physicians or they could be non-physicians um female or male that kind of helped you helped you rise along your career and into leadership i would say that when i was a fellow just seeing my other attendings that i was working with how they taught how they taught me how they taught mm. my co-fellow and how uh, they taught any of the residents who were with us and just being able to adopt that into my teaching i mean that was definitely an influence when I was at EVMS, the chairman of ophthalmology, Dr. Shannon McCole, I think she was actually very supportive. She actually wanted to bring me on as assistant program director, which you know I was very flattered to do. But in the end, because of the private practice situation, I ended up leaving that area and uh, I did have non-compete, so it was a little bit more difficult to stay. But I think she was also really supportive in wanting me to well, it, it kind of went both ways, right? She saw how she uh, actually came one time. Um, they called me about doing an enucleation uh, surgery for a patient who had, you know, an injury to the eye that they felt couldn't be repaired. Mm. And so she was the one on call and and called and see if I could help. And so I came to the OR. I did the nucleation with the resident. She actually stayed in the OR. And so she saw that experience of my teaching the resident doing surgery. And from mm -hmm. then on, she really just wanted to get me more involved with working with the residents. I guess she saw that, you know, how much I kind of let the resident do and really focused on the the teaching aspects and not just getting the surgery done. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. Thank you for that. So, um, 
I just I just wondered if you'd had any sort of challenges on your on your leadership journey. Um, have you have you faced any any problems? You know that you're happy to talk about, and and if so, how did you cope with and move past those? So when I was at Metro Health, it's a typical kind of big hospital system with a bureaucracy and with lots of committees, and they do mm. want their physicians to uh, serve on different committees. And mm. uh, when I originally was there, I was the only oculoplastic surgeon, so I was on call twenty four seven for oculoplastics, mm-hmm. and, be- and basically had to take care of anything in the oculoplastics realm. So I kind of shied away from necessarily being on a committee because when when you get on a committee, it's just additional work. It's not like they come yeah. to your clinic at all for you to go. Yeah. So you're still working in clinic uh, five days a week uh, for me as a aquaplastic surgeon. And then I was taking all this call. And so the idea yeah. of trying to fit in more committee meetings and work on a committee wasn't all that appealing to me at the time, actually. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily have so much a leadership position other than wanting to do the teaching. That was really where my passion was that I wanted to, to focus on. Um, yeah. But there were some kind of run-ins with my uh, uh, direct report, the division head of ophthalmology, about how she wanted me to take that call. Uh, there were times where she actually wanted me to go to the emergency room to see the patient, even though we had residents to see mm. the patients there. And typically what would happen is the residents would go see the patient. They would let me know what they're seeing. I could log into the EMR system and look at the scans and look at mm. any labs or anything like that, and then make a plan. Because usually if they're calling me, it's because there's something that needs to be fixed surgically. And yeah. if it is something that we could do in the in the emergency room, like it's an adult, it's an eyelid laceration. They didn't, um, but it was a little bit more complicated. The residents didn't feel like they could do it themselves. Then certainly I did go in and help the residents and teach them how to do it. But if it was something that obviously had to go to the operating room, I didn't necessarily see the reason why I would need to go into the emergency room. So there was one case where there was a child who was actually helicoptered in because mm. of a small eyelid laceration, but it, it was actually quite small uh, and definitely didn't, it wasn't emergent in any way. And so I uh, talked to the resident. We set the patient up. They came in on a Friday afternoon. Uh, we set the patient up to have it repaired in the operating room on Tuesday morning where the child could be the first operating case of the day and you know, get anesthesia so that we could you know repair it properly. But in this case, uh, my direct supervisor was really unhappy with me because she felt that I should have at the minimum gone to the ER to see the patient because they got helicoptered in and I should have actually repaired it that day. But, you know, I argue that in order to go to the operating room, the uh, patient has to be MPO, not eat or drink anything for mm. you know, eight hours before surgery. And so mm. I wasn't going to keep a child not eating and drinking for eight hours. And then because we're a level one trauma center, of course, gunshot wounds are going to take precedent over an eyelid yeah. laceration repair that yeah. could easily be done within a week and have not and not have any issues. Mm-hmm. So I, I and this has happened before where I there have been cases where I've sat around, got bumped, got bumped again, and yeah. waited around a long time to go to the operating room. And this made no sense to do this to this poor child. So yeah. the the child had a great outcome. The family was, you know, happy with the plan, but I think she just felt that, well, this child was helicoptered in specifically yeah. to see me and then didn't get to see me. And I don't know if she felt like that was an embarrassment of some way, um, but really it was kind of a systems failure. I was in clinic that day. The child could have actually come to see me in clinic and didn't necessarily need to be helicoptered anywhere. They <laughs> they were mm-hmm. completely stable. 
if you want to keep them in hospital care, they could have gone in a, an ambulance. So we actually brought it up to our mutual superior who mm. agreed that this was really a system issue. And and really, when the the call came into the emergency room, the emergency room probably should have reached out to ophthalmology department and been like, hey, what's the best way to handle this? And then yeah. someone reached out to me because if I'm the person that that child needs to see, figure out well, what's the best way and uh, most expeditious way for me to see this child, which I would say, well, I'm in clinic right now. Send them over to my clinic. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's interesting. Do you... Do you um... Do you have any kind of uh, inkling as to why your your line manager was sort of unhappy about it and so in, in you know kind of insistence that you you do it that way? What, what what do you think was going on there? Well, we so we butted heads multiple times. This was just you know one example, okay. Okay. and I think a lot of it was, and this is completely just my thoughts, and I really okay. have no idea what the truth of it is. I think a lot of it is just perception of the department, and she really saw that she was the department, and anything where someone might criticize the the department was a criticism of her. And okay, yeah. so if anyone was unhappy about how expedited something was done or how something was carried out, mm that it reflected on her and so she always wanted me to do it the fastest way or yeah. kind of bend over backwards which yeah, yeah. i just didn't think was reasonable when i was literally on call all the time yes <laughs> and in all honesty when i was a fellow like we still didn't it was super rare that we'd ever just bring a patient immediately to the or it was generally scheduled because yeah yeah in things are just not immediate emergencies like that yeah yeah that's interesting. So, and and it sounds like you 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 very much sort of you know stood your ground and you know and, and held your own. That you were uh, you know you were very courageous and and strong in those in those situations. Was you know did you did it feel kind of comfortable for you to to, to have these interactions with her? You know. <laughs> I don't know that was comfortable, but uh, it's not necessarily, I guess, hard for me to stand my ground. I do have confidence mm. in that aspect. Yeah. I have a very strong sense of what I will and will not do. Yeah, I don't tend to be a people pleaser so much. Obviously, I do want people to like me, but not to the point where I will put myself under a bus, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, yeah, Com compromise your values and 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 what you think is right. Um, yeah, it's good. It's it just very much sounds like you uh you you stand you stand up for what you believe is right and um and obviously you know that the example you gave us and thank you for sharing that um you know your uh, your ultimate superior kind of agreed with you anyway by by the sounds of it so that's that was a good good outcome so thank you thank you for that um yeah good advice there I think you know um you know be be confident and just kind of like do do what you believe is is right and um you know yes there there's a time and a place for being a people pleaser but not 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 to the extent that it you know compromises you, you know um well your your yourself your personality your values and so on really um and make makes you feel kind of resentful so all right. Do you, do you have um, any ad advice uh, for our listeners on how to become a, a strong and kind leader? I, I certainly I get the sense that you are 
a, a strong person and and kind uh, you know and you do you do things for the right reason um and and what's best for the patient i think so do you have any advice on how how our listeners could become strong and kind leaders i think the first thing to think about is what's the culture of the group where you're where you are a leader or where mm-hmm. you kind of have a leadership position if yeah. you can build a team culture where we're all in this together, you know, it's not just I'm the leader and you have to do what I say, but we all have a shared goal and let's work together to get to that shared goal. And each of us have different roles in getting to that shared goal. And how can we best support each other to get there? I think that is the best way to lead. Um, you want to just get buy-in from your team, especially anytime you want to make a change. You know, sometimes yeah. people are really resistant to change, but if you can get them buy-in and see you know, why to embrace the change or at least consider it, I think then you'll get a lot less resistance. I think it's important to be a good listener. When people feel heard, then they're also more responsive to listening. And it goes back to Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. First, seek to understand and then be understood. Oh, that's brilliant. That's that's brilliant advice. Thank you. So, so yeah, so, so t- team working sounds to be a very uh, key component of... Um, of, of good leadership um from your perspective and and making sure people are in the correct correct roles the the, the you know the where their strengths come come through getting buy-in as you call it so so in, influencing people in a in a good way in a, in a way that kind of works towards the outcomes of the department or whatever you know whatever's the the kind of best best outcomes for the patient and then absolutely you know yeah being a good listener that's that's absolutely uh, key, isn't it? Um, and uh, yeah, great, great advice. And first, 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 seek to understand. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you so much for that. So, um, aside from those those wonderful um, gems that you've shared, do you have any kind of final take home messages for our listeners? You really want them to go away with? Yeah, leadership is all about people. Right? A lot of time we overthink. We think we know what the other person's thinking, but we really may have no idea. Yeah. You know, instead of spending a lot of time overthinking someone else's thoughts and how they're going to react, again, I think it is just about asking and listening. And you may really be surprised what their actual thoughts are. Having a clear ear, um, letting people know that you can always, uh, you'll always listen to them, that they can always bring anything up to you, any concerns. Yeah. And when they come to talk, like, don't interrupt, just let them go. Even if you don't disagree with what they're saying, just let them get it all out and listen all the way through. You know, I think a lot of times you'll actually be surprised that once they, again, have felt heard, then they'll, they're more willing to listen to you. And then you can really address any issues that come up. Thank you so much. That's that's excellent. I love that. Leadership is all about people. That's that's. That's that's it, isn't it? Really, uh, it's all about humans, hu- human human interactions, and so on. So, again, you've described being a a, a good listener, um, having having the time and less, letting it be known that you have the time for them. So, being approachable and letting them get it all out. I think you know, sometimes when we're we're so busy, we just think, oh, you know, someone comes to say, oh, "Can I talk to you? Can I run something by you?" And you just think, oh you know my clinic started 10 minutes ago you know and i'm al- i'm already late you know i can't i haven't got the time for this i haven't got the bandwidth for this and uh we we automatically assume they're going to be kind of chewing our ear off for 20 minutes or something a- actually uh, with with um in family medicine studies have shown that when you 
invite a patient to talk and this is the biggest fear of a, of a family physician is like oh my god the whole 10 minute appointment's just going to go with them talking right if i say to them so tell me what you'd like to talk about today um that actually they only they they don't speak for for any longer than two minutes on average and like that's that's the whole they've got everything out then and then you've got sort of eight minutes or so to <laughs> sift through all of that but yeah um it's stories we tell ourselves isn't it so thank you thank you so much um okay so what what are you currently excited to be working on that you'd like to share with our listeners and, and like to get them involved in if possible well, like I said earlier that I am a podcaster. So I started mm. the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast in June of this year. So I'm still really working at building an audience for it and really making great content for it. So it's all about teaching financial liter- literacy. It is directed towards physicians, but it is something where I think most people could learn a lot from it, especially mm. anyone who's a professional who has maybe a larger income because it is a little bit more focused on people with larger incomes, which also in the United States means larger taxes, which is probably also true for the United Kingdom, <laughs> yeah. I would uh, suspect. But just you know, getting into investing so that you can make your money work for you. So if anyone is interested in listening to podcasts, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already on your podcast listening device. So check out my podcast, <laughs> The Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. Excellent. Yeah, I think a, a, a very, very... Uh worthwhile um podcast uh concept to to listen to and i really i really hope that people do um do tune in um and download and share and review uh all the all the good things fantastic so um if if any of the listeners would like to reach out to you having listened to our conversation what's the best way for them to do so my website is growyourwealthymindset.com and there's a contact form. You can reach me there. If you want to email me directly, it's growyourwealthymindset at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Brilliant. Make sure that those are in the show notes. So um, fantastic. So, well, all that, all that remains is, is to see if you have any, any closing words you'd like to share with the listeners. Well, just thank you so much for having me on. And I think just remember that leadership isn't all about having a specific title or role. Leadership is just working with the people around you, with your team, and having a shared goal where you're all working together and make that happen. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank thank you so much. No, I, that's wonderful. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing all your wisdom and wonderful advice with us. And Thank you to uh, to the audience for listening. Um, until the next episode in two weeks, I wish you all health, happiness, and inspiring leadership. Thank you so much for joining me and my guest on the Inspiring Women Leaders podcast today. I really hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you did, please download the show and leave it a rating and a review so that together we can share the amazing lessons we've learned from my guests with listeners far and wide and help as many aspiring leaders as possible. Most of my podcasts will also be uploaded to my YouTube channel, Dr. Adam, Physician Coach. So please check out my channel there and hopefully you'll find some videos on similar topics to watch and enjoy. Finally, I have some exciting new group coaching programs and a membership scheme in the pipeline. So please keep a regular eye on my website, www.dradamharrison or one word.com that's www.dradamharrison.com for updates 
Thank you again for your time today. And please join me next time, two weeks from now, on Alternate Wednesdays, for another brilliant episode of Inspiring Women Leaders.